A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I am glad that you are with us on the program today. We're going to be talking about uh, Joe Biden's gun control plans. Uh, Most notably, where are they? I mean, it has been uh, nearly a month now. Well, I guess it has been a month since the uh, president was sworn in. Promised action on day one when it came to uh, firearms, and yet we have not seen any anti-gun executive actions. We have uh, not seen the introduction of his gun ban in Congress. So what's going on? Well, Politico is investigating, and they say that uh, Joe Biden is considering regulating, quote, ghost guns and other executive actions to curb gun violence. Now, we've known from the get-go, that this was an agenda item that uh, gun control activists want. They want uh, Biden's ATF to redefine what a firearm actually is. Under the Gun Control Act of 1968, a firearm uh, includes a a frame uh, or a receiver, right? That's the part of the gun that actually makes a gun a firearm. Well, gun control advocates want the ATF to just sort of arbitrarily redefine that to include things that aren't frames and receivers, things that could be frames and receivers, but they're not yet frames and receivers, unfinished frames and receivers. And they want to do this not through legislation, not through changing the Gun Control Act of 1968, but through simply reinterpreting the language of the Gun Control Act of 1968 via executive action. Uh, According to Politico, among the executive actions under consideration by the administration, one that would require buyers of so-called ghost guns, homemade or makeshift firearms that lack serial numbers to undergo background checks, according to three people who've spoken to the White House about their plans. All right, let's stop for just a second here. First of all, ghost guns, you can't actually sell because you cannot sell an unserialized firearm. You can make one yourself under federal law. But as soon as that gun were to enter the stream of commerce, uh, that would be a crime. So I don't know if this is Politico that doesn't understand this, the Biden administration that doesn't understand this, gun control groups that don't understand this, or they simply don't want the general public to understand what federal law is. But that is the law as it stands right now. Senator Richard Blumenthal, who spoke to the White House in the last week, Uh, said he recommended the administration take executive actions to close the so-called Charleston loophole that allows a gun to be transferred from licensed gun dealers before a completed background check. But Biden aides were reluctant, Blumenthal said. So right now, again, if a uh, background check is not completed within three days, the uh, retailer can release that firearm to the buyer. Um, Democrats want to extend that. They basically want to extend it indefinitely so that if you're caught up uh, in the NIC system and the wheels are spinning for, you know, 14, 21, 30 days or more, you simply can't get a gun until the government comes back and says, okay, we finally completed the background check. Seems like a really easy way to, uh, if not outright deny, to uh, delay uh, the ability of Americans to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. And I would say that a right delayed is a right denied. Uh, Going on to uh, quote this Politico story, Blumenthal says, quote, my view is the bigger and bolder, the better 
on gun violence prevention because we have a unique window of opportunity. Yeah, that window of opportunity that he's talking about is basically between now and the midterms. I've got a piece at uh, Bearing Arms today talking about a, a piece of the Atlantic, Harvard Law Professor, uh, who says that uh, it's now time to go ahead and nuke the filibuster, pack the Supreme Court full of anti-gun justices. He, he didn't specifically say anti-gun justices, but that would be the end result because Democrats will likely never get another opportunity to do so, at least not in the near future. And so you must act now to save democracy. That's his argument. You see that same type of rhetoric from Blumenthal. Look, we don't know when we're going to get another chance here. If they were so confident, by the way, about their plans and the popularity of their plans with the American people, why do you think they'd be so freaked out about having a two-year window to enact these types of uh, infringements on our civil liberties? It's because they know that they're likely to suffer losses in the midterms because historically that's what happens to the party in charge. They lose seats in the midterms. And so they're looking at this as we've got two years to get our stuff done and to make an indelible stamp on this country. And so as you can imagine, gun control activists are looking at their watch and come on, the, the, the clock's ticking here. We're running out of time. We've got to start acting now. Well, as Political points out, the desire to go bigger and bolder is running up against a variety of different political realities, however. Among them, a Senate that is split down the middle and advocates who are at odds over which policies to push and how quickly to push them. Underlining it all is a, prim a promise that Biden made to act quickly on guns after taking office, a promise that looks less likely as the COVID-19 pandemic overshadows everything else. The White House has held several meetings on gun violence, with prominent groups pushing for gun restrictions, community-based groups asking for billions of dollars in program funding, and survivors of gun violence. Now, what's interesting here is, and Politico kind of references this, not all of these groups who are demanding action from Biden want the same thing. Uh, old school gun control groups like Brady, Every Town for Gun Safety, Giffords, Violence Policy Center, Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, they're pushing, by and large, for new actions that would require more law enforcement, more policing. Whereas groups, other groups, um, are pushing for more uh, community grants to gun violence prevention groups, things like violence interrupters, um, uh, you know, programs uh, that, that don't involve policing, programs that are designed to touch and impact those who are most likely to commit acts of violence and those who are most likely to be the victims of violence uh, in American cities. And again, we've talked about this before. The gun control movement is at odds with itself. Because again, you've got the old school gun control groups saying, no, 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 we've got to ban our way to safety. And you've got some younger groups who are saying, whoa, 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 time out. All of your proposals, your magazine ban, your gun ban, your gun licensing laws, all of those things put more laws on the books that are going to be enforced by police. And we're interested in reimagining policing. We're interested in criminal justice reform. We're interested in de-policing. And you want to add more policing. So there, it's not talked about much, mostly behind the scenes, these arguments, but these arguments are taking place. Now, uh, according to Politico, a White House official said that Biden is considering, quote, every tool at our disposal, including executive actions, and is looking at investing in community violence programs, requiring background checks, banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, and repealing gun manufacturers' immunity from liability. That would be the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. But Biden, Politico points out, still lacks a Senate-confirmed attorney general, although Merrick Garland is probably going to get confirmed despite 
his uh, non-answers uh, during his uh, testimony, during his confirmation here on Monday. Still lacking a director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Farms, and Explosives who will play a key role in any executive branch action on guns. White House spokesperson Mike Gwynn said, quote, During the campaign, the president laid out an ambitious plan to keep our community safe, and he remains committed to that agenda. Which, again, that's sort of boilerplate language. You know, it was February 14th when Biden issued his statement on the third anniversary of the shootings at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. And he said, look, we, we can't wait for another mass shooting. We've got to act now. Congress has to act now. And since then, Biden hasn't pressured Congress to introduce a gun ban bill. There's no legislation that's been introduced. So gun control groups are starting to feel like, OK, you're, you're paying lip service to us. But you're not actually doing anything. And if you want our continued support, you better start uh, advancing our agenda. Again, from the Political Report, quote, advocates affiliated with those groups argue that the chance for action in Congress and elsewhere in the federal government has never been better, in part because public support for changes have steadily increased after Newtown, Connecticut and subsequent shootings, and in part because of the implosion of the once mighty NRA. Uh, Christian Hain, vice president of policy for Brady, says, quote, we've changed state legislatures. We've passed voter referendums. We've seen for the first time in my time in this movement a Democratic primary where every single candidate was trying to outdo themselves on how much they care about this issue. We do anticipate that the momentum will continue to build until we get the change that we desperately need. Well, that is, I got to tell you, I mean, that's a nice spin from gun control groups, but it bears no resemblance to the 2020 elections in which Democrats did not pick up a single chamber in any state legislature across the United States, Republicans, on the other hand, gained complete control of the state legislature and executive branches in two states, Iowa and New Hampshire. We just talked about earlier, I guess it was late last week, this Gallup poll showing 41% of Americans say that they are dissatisfied with the current state of gun laws and want more gun laws on the books. Just 41% of Americans say that. Another 42% of Americans say they're satisfied with the current gun laws on the books. Another 8% say we want fewer gun laws on the books. So I'm dissatisfied, but I want to see fewer gun laws. And another 7% say, well, I don't like the gun laws on the books, but don't, don't bother changing them. I just, I, I'm still not sure about that last group and why they feel that way. But that, that, according to Gallup, that's, that's how they believe. So no, there is not majority support for new gun control laws, not according to the Gallup poll. And at the same time, by the way, uh, Christian Hain doesn't mention this, but we've seen record high gun sales. For a year now, uh, going back to last January, NSSF estimates more than 9 million new gun owners in this country now. And I don't think any of those folks bought their firearm thinking that it was going to be a short-term rental that they would then turn around and hand over to the federal government. So it is a great spin on the part of gun control activists. Well, now they never had a better time. Yeah, I, look, on the one hand, again, they've got an anti-gun Democrat in the White House. They have uh, complete control of Congress, although they don't have a uh, cloture-proof majority. So on the one hand, you, gun control activists are right. They have never been in a better spot to actually press their agenda at the federal level in terms of the makeup of Congress and the White House. But if they were to do so, there are grave political risks associated with that. Again, do you want to run as the gun ban party next year in the midterms when the party in charge typically loses seats anyway? Do you want to run as the gun ban party 
in swing states across the country at a time of record-setting gun sales. It might make sense from a gun control advocate's perspective. I'm not sure that it makes as much sense from an incumbent Democrat politician's perspective, particularly in those swing states. Now, what's interesting here is there is um, another uh, angle to this. As I mentioned, you know, some of the younger groups out there uh, don't want to see, well, let's put it this way. I don't know that they don't want to see a gun ban, but that's not their priority. Their priorities uh, are basically putting uh, programs in effect that do not rely on increased law enforcement. Again, those sort of violence interrupter type programs. Uh, Eddie Bocanegra, who's the senior director of the Heartland Alliance Ready Chicago chapter, says, we have incidents where there are three or four people getting shot daily and we don't get the same kind of upward attention for those kinds of homicides, and mainly because they're black and brown people. Earlier this month, political reports, Heartland was among the coalition of organizations representing communities of color, which sent a letter to the Biden administration expressing disappointment that they were not included in a gathering that the White House held with more establishment gun control groups. According to four people who were uh, involved in recent meetings, the White House moved quickly to rectify the situation and has since held at least two virtual calls with advocates from groups across the country. Bocanegra said he was happy with the audience that he received at the White House. But he still expressed frustration that white-led gun control groups appear to be getting more attention after he had spent days helping the Biden transition on policy. Quote, I want to see my return on that investment. So again, Politico talks about, well, the implosion of the NRA. Look, there is infighting on the gun control side, too. Over policy, over personality. And the uh, Biden White House, I, I think they want to move. I think they're going to move, but I don't think that they know what moves they're going to make yet. Uh, It has become increasingly clear that Biden's rhetoric on February 14th was not the uh, prelude to the uh, immediate introduction of a gun control bill. And even though Biden said, you know, we can't wait until the next mass shooting, I I, I think it's likely that's exactly what Biden's going to do. Wait until he believes that there's a politically opportune time when our news media is transfixed. Uh, with a tragedy unfolding on our television screens, that that is when Democrats will act, because that's when Biden thinks that he can get the most support. Now, I think before then, you will likely see some executive actions coming. But this Politico story is worth pointing out, because there is some disarray on the part of gun control activists, and that is good news for Second Amendment supporters because they can't even figure out what their priorities are. So how do we respond to this? And how do we encourage that, uh, that dissension in the ranks? While remaining true to our own philosophy and our own beliefs. Now, I don't know how controversial this is going to be, but, but here's my opinion. Programs like the ones that the Heartland, uh, was it? not the Heartland Institute, because I think that's a libertarian-style thing, take, uh, Heartland Alliance. Programs like the ones that the Heartland Alliance are pushing, these sort of violence interrupter programs, things of that nature, those don't actually involve restricting our Second Amendment rights at all. Again, they're designed to target those who are the most likely offenders in any given community and those who are the most likely victims in any given community. They're dealing with gang violence. They're dealing with drug-related violence. They're dealing with the uh, increase in carjackings that we've seen in places like Chicago and the armed robberies and the home invasions in cities like Philadelphia. But they're not, generally speaking, um, 
broad sweeping legislation that creates crimes out of our right to keep and bear arms and ends up putting people in prison for nonviolent felony level possessory offenses. So as a Second Amendment supporter, as somebody who believes in the individual right to keep and bear arms, even by the way, especially by the way, in high crime neighborhoods, so that good people in bad neighborhoods have the ability to protect themselves, I'm not opposed at all to these violence reduction programs that do not involve putting new laws on the books. In fact, I think that's the way to go. But that puts these groups, like the Heartland Alliance, at odds with the older, white-led gun control groups like Brady in every town, Giffords, Violence Policy Center, Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, and the rest. So, again, I don't know that I don't know that how many Democrats are going to listen to us as gun owners, but I do think that we should start using our voices to point out the flaws in these gun ban proposals and using language that the left understands and recognizes. So, fine, you guys don't care about my constitutional right to keep in bearings. I get it. I get it. You, you don't like it. You think it should go away. Completely understand. It's not going to. It's not, it's not going anywhere. In fact, again, more Americans are exercising their Second Amendment rights now, millions more than were so just a year ago. So given that political reality, given the fact that there are a large number of voices on the left who are not interested in putting any more laws on the books and, 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 and over-policing in cities, well, isn't there some way that we could actually find some common ground in programs that don't target legal gun owners, that don't restrict the right to keep and bear arms, that don't result in over-policing, that don't result in more people going to prison for nonviolent possessory offenses that aren't even a crime today, and instead focus on those programs that have a proven track record of success at reducing violent crime through targeted deterrence through violence interruption, through mentoring programs, and other uh, opportunities to escape the life of crime and violence and start to live, uh, live a, more, a little bit more productive life. I, I, I think that we can. I mean, I certainly think that's the way to go. And I think we might even be able to find some really odd allies uh, among these violence prevention groups, and again, not gun control groups, but violence prevention groups that don't want or see a need or see the harm in some of these gun ban proposals and the proposals from uh, gun control groups that want to put more laws on the books that will be enforced by police officers, primarily, by the way, in deep blue Democrat-run cities. Now, is that going to guarantee our success in defeating these proposals? No. But we should be looking at allies anywhere we can find them right now, including those we don't always agree with on a lot of different issues. But again, when it comes to the idea of restricting our rights to improve our public safety, of more policing, of more laws on the books, I think we can find some common ground uh, with some folks that we might ordinarily view as our adversaries and uh, not uncomfortable allies. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our recidivist report, our uh, good deed of the day. 
We'll start with our recidivist report uh, from Massachusetts, where a, a Springfield, Massachusetts police officer who was shot in the line of duty back in 2019 has uh, retired. Officer Edwin Irizarry uh, was shot twice on April 14, 2019, uh, as he tried to intervene when two suspects were shooting at each other. Uh, according to the um, mayor of Springfield, Dominic Sarno, uh, the person who shot the officer was out on probation for previous gun-related charges. Yeah, in, in Massachusetts, supposedly with some of the best gun laws on the books. Mm-hmm. Sarno said, taking those shots, he got hit and he saved other people's lives. This young officer now who really wants to come back is forced to retire because once again, our court systems let somebody go who should have been locked up. Edwin Arizari, a Springfield police officer for 14 years. And uh, I know that um, the department is uh, sad to see him retire. Uh, and again, the mayor says he never should have been shot in the first place because the guy who shot him should have been kept behind bars. But you know what? Lawmakers in Massachusetts far more interested in putting new gun control laws on the books than they are in actually enforcing the laws against violent criminals. All right, today's Armed Citizen story from Iowa, where a homeowner shot and killed an invader in Wapello County. Uh, this was from uh, Ottumwa, Iowa. This was last Thursday night. Statement issued on Friday by the Wapello County Sheriff's Office said their agency got a 911 call about 9.15 Thursday evening uh, from a caller who explained that a male subject was trying to break into their home. Uh, preliminary investigation indicates that the intruder, quote, did forcibly enter the home and was shot by the homeowner inside the residence. That intruder was pronounced dead after being uh, flown by life flight to uh, University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. The investigation is ongoing. The identity of the uh, dead man is being held uh, pending notification of his next of kin. Uh, but at this point, again, looks like this is a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense. Uh, we don't have a lot of details, but we're certainly glad that the uh, homeowner is alive and well. And finally today, our good deed of the day from Hot Springs, Arkansas where I guess the springs weren't hot enough to keep a pond from uh, freezing over, and a uh, hot springs police officer uh, in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing to help rescue a man and his dog who got stuck in this frozen pond. Yes, there is the uh, the little pupsicle uh, there in the ice. Uh, According to uh, KLRT, Devin Fowler's 14-month-old dog, Max, was outside playing in the snow with his owner, and all of a sudden, uh, he fell into the pond. Pond looked like land. It was covered in snow. Couldn't see. He just kept running right out onto it. About 20 yards out, he just fell through. So as Devon Fowler tried to reach his dog, he ends up calling 911. He said, I asked him to send animal control out, and they said, well, in the weather, it might be a while. I said, well, send somebody over to check on me then, because I'm going in. So Fowler crawled out onto the ice to get Max. He says about five yards from him, and the ice started cracking underneath me, and I'm like, well, here I go. About that time, Hot Springs police officer Tyler Ward showed up. Ward stayed on shore, coached Fowler on how to get Max back on land. Ward said he pushed the dog to me, slid a little ways, didn't break the ice, and started calling to the dog. He said, come on, come on, come on, come on. And eventually Max was pulled to safety. Fowler, though, still stuck in the freezing water. He said, I was so tired, I was ready to stop. But he was very encouraging, telling me there was a bad idea to keep moving, not stand in the water there and freeze to death. Uh, Ward ended up grabbing a couple of rocks, threw them at the ice, breaking it, clearing a path for Fowler to get back to shore. And uh, Fowler says we are lucky to have somebody like Officer Ward uh, in this neighborhood. So in the right place, at the right time, willing to be able to do the right thing to save a man and his dog 
Hot Springs Police Officer Tyler Ward, we thank you, sir, for your very, very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Don't forget, you know the drill by now, don't you? You want to uh, subscribe on YouTube, Town Hall Media. That's the place to find us. On Rumble, it's Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page. Just look up Bearing Arms Cam and Company. You'll find us there as well. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. But don't forget to check out BearingArms.com throughout the day for even more coverage of the latest Second Amendment news that you need to know. A great rest of your Tuesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.